it starts with us. It starts with not waiting for the structure to change. It starts with you setting and creating the structure. Hello, hello. You are listening to Your Unapologetic Career. Being a woman of color faculty in academic medicine who wants to make a real difference with your career can be tough. Listen, these systems are not built for us, but that doesn't mean we can't make them work for us. In each episode, I'll be taking a deep dive into one core growth strategy so you can gain confidence and effectiveness in pursuing the dream career you worked so hard to achieve. All you have to do is tune in to your unapologetic career with me, your host, Kemi Dole, physician, surgeon, researcher, coach, and career strategist for an always authentic, sometimes a little raw, but unapologetically empowering word. I keep it real for you because I want you to win. Are you building the academic career you want or hard at work checking boxes on everyone else's to-do list? A successful career doing the work that you love doesn't mean you have to sacrifice your values, your family, or your joy. Stop trying to be everything to everybody and get to learning the strategies that will 3x your productivity, hone your passions into funded projects, and create the career you work so hard to achieve. If you've been to every career development workshop that sounded great, but didn't actually deal with the kind of institutional pressures you face... If you're working hard, but somehow stuck in inefficiency, putting everyone else's priorities first. If you spent years training and sacrificing to become academic faculty, and here you are still working nights and weekends on the projects that you care most about, I'm here to tell you that you can walk away from this institutional mindset forever and take control of your career with clarity and strategy. Every day, I help women of color faculty in academic medicine, like you, reframe and recreate their academic life so that they can channel their ideas, passions, and skills into grant-funded work with institutional support. That's why this episode is brought to you by Get That Grant, my six-month comprehensive high-performance coaching program for high-achieving women of color faculty in academic medicine who are ready to reclaim career control and secure funding doing the work they love. And get that grant, we help you kick imposter syndrome to the curb for good, so you lead your career with clarity and confidence. You learn productivity and strategy skills for grants and papers to maximize your chances of success without wasting your time, abandoning your passion, or working yourself into the ground. We help you build the foundation for an amazing and fulfilling academic career, changing your life and the lives of everyone your work will touch. Yes, this future is possible for you, and it's waiting on you to take the first step. If you're ready for career success without sacrifice, I encourage you to book a coaching consult call today by visiting kemidole.com backslash grant. After you book your call, you will complete an in-depth career foundations assessment, helping you identify the gaps in your foundation that are holding you back from enjoying the career you work so hard to achieve. No more secret worrying that you just don't have what it takes. 
This career assessment will show you exactly where you need to focus to level up your experience and your impact. Book a coaching consult call today to get your career foundation score. Visit kemingdole.com backslash grant to book your call. Talk to you soon. Hello, hello. Welcome back to your unapologetic career. I am going to be talking about a listener letter that I received a little bit ago about a common problem that is definitely relevant for my clinician researchers. So we're going to be talking about clinical time. And I do want to say that I think this is relevant too for those who don't have clinical time, but might have other large (laughs) time need on your calendar, like teaching and all the things associated with teaching a course for a semester or two. I think it's all relatable. So I'm going to start with reading the letter and I want to thank the person who sent it very much um, because again, I think this is a wonderful and meaty topic. So the letter says, I would love to hear how you handle urgent clinical issues that arise during the time you have dedicated for research. I try to look in my in basket, shout out to Epic, only three times a day, but there are always pages about someone who is sick or in need of being seen, or an order needs to be signed, or a doctor is on the phone. How do you handle these disruptions and still provide excellent patient care? All right. So letter writer, I'm going to give you a name, which is going to be Lisa. Lisa, thank you for writing in this question. It's an important one. And I want to say that I think it's actually relevant beyond those who are clinician researchers, clinician educators. I think this is relevant for those of you who are not, who don't have a clinical component to your position, um, but might have, for example, a teaching component, might have some other component where there's kind of essentially an endless potential of time that that thing could take. So anything that falls into that category, for some of you, it might be a leadership title that you have. For other people, it's simply clinical care, teaching, et cetera. But basically anything, anything that by design can take up as much time as you will give it is going to be relevant to this topic. So I want to acknowledge that specifically for academic medicine, we have this idea of triumvirate, the triple threat, clinical teaching and research. And, you know, we call people who excel at all three of these things, triple threats, right? And I don't need any more words to say what we all know, which is that the expectation is that we translate this triple threat clinical mission into our own personal career missions. I am going to be a great researcher, but also an excellent educator, also an amazing clinician. And I get that and definitely feel that. Um, And I think most of us are here because we want to be excellent in what we do. So I want to preface to say none of what I'm about to say is related to your motivation and desire to be excellent at what you do. It's what I do not recommend is trying to not be excellent. (laughs) I think you should provide excellent, amazing clinical care. This question is really about the overflow of clinical responsibilities. It's about the overflow of the time. And as faculty, we definitely have immense pressure to be team players, to fill clinical roles and to bring excitement and energy to the clinical enterprise. And 
as I mentioned before, I think most of us want to contribute to that in that way. And so I think the question that Lisa's really getting at that we'll focus on today is how do we balance that desire with the very real toll that clinical overwhelm can take on the other areas of our career, most especially research? How do you deal with the toll that one area can take when there's just total overwhelm and bleeding beyond what you have tried to limit the time to? How do you handle that when you know the answer isn't, I'm never doing this again, right? That's not the answer. So here are my thoughts, Lisa. Um, And I'll just say that as usual, it starts with you. (laughs) And I wonder what you and others might come up with as we walk through a series of steps. I do want to say that it doesn't make any sense. Like just pause and come back and listen to this later. If you're not going to be a hundred percent honest with yourself about the answers as we think about the next series of questions. It's not helpful to answer any of these questions as what you should, what you think you should be doing. These answers are from you. Be a hundred percent honest. So the first, the first step in approaching this issue of constantly being overwhelmed with the clinical tasks and not being able to limit, (laughs) limit them to fit in the time that you want them to is to ask how much clinical time do you actually want to do? Really, actually. Not because you feel like you should do it to keep up your skills or to look like other people in the department because you worry about other people will say. Not because of whatever other thing just popped into your head as I said that, but like looking at your week Monday through Sunday, ask yourself how many days or half days do you want to be in the clinic? in the OR, rounding, inpatient, whatever, no matter where you are now, you need to know what your ideal goal is. Now, secondly, how much time right now are you spending on clinical care outside of what you are officially slated to do? So what I gathered from Lisa's letter was that beyond what is happening in clinic and maybe some time slated for follow-up, there's way more time happening outside of that in the inbox three times a day, still not enough, still responding to messages in between the time. So that's what I'm asking about. Actually track the time and actually add up (laughs) how much clinical time you're spending and go ahead and organize it into what is assigned. So like what was the plan and then what is overflow time? Because what is important is the difference between the number one and number two answer. So how much time you want to be spending total and then where you are right now. Is it two hours or is it two days? Just how much more time is it? And then what exactly are you doing during that extra time? You need to get very clear on this and very specific because otherwise you can't actually do what's coming up in the following steps. So it's important to get specific about what are you actually doing in the extra time beyond what your goal time is clinically? What are the things you're doing? Okay. And I have a note later if basically all of your extra time is assigned time. Like if you're supposed to be in clinic two days a week, but you're in clinic four days a week, that's a separate issue. (laughs) Okay. So having said that little, you know, kind of set ourselves up. We need to understand that the first step to beating back clinical overwhelm is to identify the true source of the time creep. And again, I'm going to encourage you to be honest, okay? Because these are some common sources 
of the clinical time creep. Common reasons why it seems impossible to have some boundaries. One, taking on the institutional culture. Example, the assumption that you are readily available for clinical questions 24-7 unless you are in your own health emergency. If you are checking inbox three times a day, three times a day, what is happening in the in-between times? And where is the expectation that you are available 24-7? Where is that expectation coming from? Whose rule is that? And are you following it? That's one, taking on the institutional culture of 24-7 availability. Number two, wasting time and perfectionism. An example of this is triple checking, quadruple, quintuple checking everything for fear of ever making a mistake. Now, again, we want to be excellent in clinical care. We want to give excellent clinical care. We don't want to make mistakes and harm people. I'm talking about a different level. I'm talking about a drive that is beyond reasonable. I'm talking about deciding that it's impossible and that you can never be human. So you're triple and quintuple checking every single thing over and over. Wasting time and perfectionism. Not helpful. Number three, indulging in inefficiency. (laughs) What's really funny to me about number two and three is how like they're not mutually exclusive at all. (laughs) So at the same time, that I see people, I see faculty having this drive of like, I can't make a mistake. I don't want to be judged by my colleagues. Everybody thinks it has to be perfect. It can't be a complication. Simultaneously, there is this indulging and inefficiency of actually doing the clinical work. Example, choosing to check emails in between patients, in between seeing patients instead of doing your charting, leaving more work left undone at the end of the day. So having it be the norm of not really making progress in between patients and clinic in terms of the notes and everything that has to happen and all of that happening later. Number four, people pleasing to avoid discomfort. Hello. (laughs) Hello again, people pleasing. Hello again, obligatory gratitude. This looks like saying yes to covering something on a research or a writing day when you really mean no, when your answer was really no. So that is not an exhaustive list. Take what fits, you know, add others if they're in play for you. But it's very important to sit down and be honest and clear about what is happening with the additional clinical time, what you're doing during that time and where that's coming from. Because for each one of these causes, so the examples that I just listed and others you may come up with, the locus of power resides with you. It does. We think it doesn't, but that's only because we haven't really addressed clearly this question. Are you willing to be different? I know you want to be excellent. The question is, are you willing to be different in how that excellence shows up? You might not be able to have the same approach to clinical work as colleagues who don't share the other goals that you do. And I'm not talking about they also don't have research because they might, but they might not have the goals that you do of having balance and sanity in your time and life. (laughs) This is not about changing your high standards for providing quality care. It's about approaching it differently. 
with boundaries. And so I understand that, especially as a woman of color, we can be hyper aware of needing to be excellent in all realms, including clinical. But what I want to offer to you is to take a step back and decide for yourself, what is your definition of clinical excellence? What is your definition of safe and high quality care for your patients? Is your focus and decision-making ability at its best 24-7? Is the way that you define excellence immediate availability? How would you define it differently? How do you define being safe for your patients and providing high-quality care for them? Because I want you to consider the idea that that is attainable on your terms. You've already identified your ideal amount of clinical time. Now, what is your ideal workflow? How would you design your ideal workflow that would fit within your ideal amount of clinical time and meet your definition of safe and high quality care for your patients? I'm emphasizing this because it's not something that we usually think about. I want to actually tease apart reactivity, availability, being always around with quality because they're not the same. And I want to offer to you that you can take one element of the current cause of your clinical overload and consider just at least one step to shift it. For example, if you check Epic three times a day, those are the three times a day that you can be available to respond. I would offer that three times a day is a lot already. If you need to set expectations for when you're available to respond, you get to do that. You get to define how responsive you want to be, how many times you want to be logging in, and when you're available. You also get to define what does an emergency or urgency look like to you on your definition of safe and high quality care. I want to offer that most of the time when we're interrupted consistently over the course of the day with things, they are not urgent from a patient safety issue. They might be urgent from a workflow issue, in which case you have an opportunity to redesign a different workflow. And that has to do with setting expectations. That has to do with saying, okay, this is the cadence of reviewing information. This is when you're going to hear back from me. These are the times where I am not available. You will not hear back from me unless there is a literal patient emergency. If a doctor calls during these times, I will call them back. Totally reasonable boundaries. It's not that it's not real that there's so much to do. I understand that there's a lot to do. But what I'm trying to say is that, and what I want to offer to you is that actually having a clearly defined workflow for yourself that you can then communicate out that feels good to you about how often you're checking, how you want to be responsible, responsive, excuse me, when you're returning, for example, phone calls from doctors versus phone calls from your patients versus clarifying labs, et cetera. You can define all of that and then clearly communicate with your team and the people who need to be in place when those things happen and when you're not available. And then you can start to triage from there. But most of the time where we're in a place where we're like, I just don't understand how do I protect my time? This just doesn't seem to be possible. It's because there's an underlying rule happening that everybody is following that you are always available. 
And oftentimes, the reason why we even accept that, that we're just always available, is because we have defined being always available as being excellent. We've merged those two ideas so that they're one. And it makes sense if you think about how we got here, if you think about training, if you think about being an intern, if you think about being a resident or a fellow. That is the definition of excellence. Being extremely responsive, very quick, always available, not in control of your time. No such thing as I'm not available. You are no longer a trainee. It is actually your responsibility to yourself and to your patients to design a workflow so that you know that you are at your best decision-making capacity, clearest thoughts, most stable energy so that you can give them your best ideas and your best responses. And that doesn't always mean that they're immediate. In fact, often it's not. So this is what I would tell you to Lisa and to anybody else who feels stuck in this, it's impossible to set boundaries. The only reason why it feels impossible is because you're operating under a rule that is not serving you. Choose one thing, one boundary, and then be ready to be uncomfortable. Because it's going to take some time for you to adjust to the idea that there is more than one way to provide high quality care. And let's just say it out loud. You may be misunderstood by someone else. Somebody might judge you for not being available literally all of the time and you will survive. And when you have already defined for yourself what high quality patient care looks like, and you've already defined for yourself how you can best deliver it and balance your time, not only will you live, but your patients will do fine. So I wanna offer to you to take one step, disengage from the rule of always available and watch the world not end. I'm not discounting culture. I'm not discounting barriers, but I'm telling you that just like almost every other thing, it always starts with you, with us, right? It always starts with us. And to circle back, if you are somebody who's listening and was like, oh yeah, I did the exercise. I just followed your steps. There were six of them. You were paying attention. And all of my additional time is assigned. Like I'm supposed to be in clinic two days a week and I'm assigned in clinic four days a week. That's a different problem. (laughs) That falls under a category of power dynamics with authority. And the action there is a well-planned and well-executed personal advocacy (laughs) strategy with receipts. Okay. And so that again, different podcast episode, but that's a different issue. Okay. What I want y'all to remember and what I want y'all to take away in addition to some of the specifics we just talked about of not just experiencing the problem, but taking a step back, doing some literal quantitative measuring of how much time you're spending and then qualitative noticing of what exactly are you doing? Step back and define how do you define for yourself high quality care? How do you define for yourself an ideal workflow that feels very comfortable to you? How do you define for yourself what urgent and emergent would look like? And how do you define for yourself the times that you are not available and communicate that? You can do all of those things. What's hard for people is to manage the discomfort of being different. That's what's hard. It's hard, but it's doable. That is the beginning. That is the path 
towards boundaries around clinical care and anything else that can creep outside. It starts with us. It starts with not waiting for the structure to change. It starts with you setting and creating the structure and then communicating it to others. All right, y'all. That was managing the clinical creep. I hope that was helpful to y'all. I hope some of those questions sparked some thoughts and some ideas. I hope for my non-clinical colleagues who are still listening, shout out to you, that it prompted some questions about teaching and how you define high quality teaching. How do you ideally want to be available and not available? All of it is related. Same thing for my people in leadership positions. Oh my gosh. Okay, I need to do another podcast about this, but same thing, mid-career, senior career. How do you define being an excellent director, division director, center leader? How do you define that for yourself? What is the workflow you would ideally perform in? And what's the gap? What's the difference between that and what you're doing? And what are you doing in the extra time and why? It's this kind of auditing that leads us out of being stuck of, uh, I just don't know, I just don't know, into diagnosis and action. All y'all can do this. We do it all the time externally. We do it all the time for other folks. It's time to do it for ourselves around our own career. We do it for people's medical issues. We do it for research problems people are trying to understand. We do it for process issues. We must do it for ourselves. We must audit and be interested in problem-solving strategies for ourselves. And almost all of the time, those are not cookie cutter from anybody. Those begin with your own desires of how you work well, your own definitions of excellence, and how you want to operationalize that in your career. All right, y'all, that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If this was helpful for you, absolutely come and check me out on social media. I am at Kemi Dole, K-E-M-I-D-O-L-L on all platforms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Hit me up there, hit me up in my DMs and let me know what was helpful to you. For those who want to read a little bit more about this specific question, actually did a super early newsletter about this. So if you are not signed up for my newsletter, definitely go to the link in my bio on any of those platforms and you can find the link to sign up for my newsletter and there is an archive where you can see prior issues. So it's, I think, way back in like newsletter three, managing the clinical creep. Okay, y'all, that is it. I hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week. And I now have credits. I would like to take a moment to shout out the amazing and wonderful podcast editor and manager I work with. So this podcast is edited by Colette McKenzie of www.colettemckenzie.com. That's C-O-L-L-E-T-M-C-K-E-N-Z-I-E.com. Thank you, Colette. It is always a pleasure. Take care. Thank you so much for listening with me today. I appreciate your time as I know it's so valuable. I hope this episode was helpful to you and I hope you feel energized to go out and claim your unapologetic career. See you soon.